How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, it's mailbag time. Memorial Day mailbag, Eric. Um Ooh, I don't know. Nice. I don't know. That's uh, some good branding. I like you it. You were yeah, good branding. You were uh what you're you're in Milwaukee. You're you're at the Brewer game today, right? Covering it for ESPN? No, I was not. I actually had family cookout today. It was nice. Oh, even better. Yeah. Okay, even better. Yeah, I'm I'm just hanging out at home uh, in Austin, Texas. Uh, I helped my uh, my wife's best friend from growing up. They moved to Austin. I helped them move on Saturday, so I got in uh, some really exciting moving. Uh, and uh, they're just just taking it easy. So you know what? Like it's Sunday night. We could be doing interesting things with our lives. Instead, we're talking about Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> like and we I'm, do interesting. Totally, Come on. <laughs> I'm totally fine with that. And I feel like if there are people out there, our dear listeners, uh, out for for you know they've traveled they've done road trips we'll get this thing out there maybe we'll be on the radio or not on the radio but on people's uh ipods playing through their car stereos as they drive back Ooh, in traffic yeah over, uh, memorial day weekend so we got to give them something for monday here even though it's technically a holiday that's my that's my philosophy but let's let me just jump into the questions unless okay. we had something else to say because we got a ton of them no let's do it my guess is this is going to be a two-parter so we'll see how far we can get we'll or a three-parter finish. Or a three-parter. <laughs> this, is, this is a nice part of the offseason is that stuff doesn't happen every day, although last week it felt like it did. Yeah. Um, but let's jump in. We kind of organized. Th- first off, thanks to everybody for submitting questions. Um, a lot of people submitted multiple questions. Um, we'll probably only do like one question per person for the most part, just so we can try to get everybody at least one answer. Um, and we kind of have, you know, roster questions, draft questions, general manager, you know, that <laughs> that kind of question um lots of stuff like that so let's just jump in I'll, i've got like a kind of a bunch of ones related to sort of the roster and different moves trades um outlook for next year type stuff and let me jump in right with brennan olin brennan shout out to you thanks for the question he asks who's the ideal point guard for an eventual bucks championship run and he also asked non-bucks question where you guys stand on the mj slash lebron greatest of all time debate I have a. Can I just give you my really quick answer on the MJ LeBron Do thing? Because yeah. I don't want to like spend a lot of time on that. I want. I'd rather talk about Buck stuff. Agreed. Um, I so I'm old enough that I actually grew up watching the Jordan. Um, I didn't see the first championship, but I saw the last five, and I I rooted for Jordan when I was growing up. The Bucks were never in the playoffs. I mean, I wasn't. I wouldn't call myself like a big Bulls fan, but um, in the playoffs, I liked them a lot more than like the the Knicks, and I never liked the teams from the West. So I always rooted for Jordan in the playoffs. One of my best friends was from Chicago. He lived across the street. So we rooted for Jordan in the playoffs together. And I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and act like LeBron is like better than Michael Jordan. But I'm just sort of at the point where it's like, I'm okay with them being in the conversation together. About they're, they're, They've each been, to me, Jordan, I think, is the default greatest player of all time. I, you know, whatever. Like, I'm, I believe eras sort of have to be held kind of differently a bit. Um I don't think players from the 60s or something like that could come into the modern game and really be anywhere close to as effective. Like I, so I just said, you know what, Bill Russell, like you were a 6'9", 215-pound center in the 60s. That's cool. You were amazing. That's your era. Um, Jordan, yeah, I mean, I think he's the greatest of all time. LeBron, I think he's now in the conversation. I'm fine with that. I don't think we need to pick one. Um, I guess if I had to pick one, I'd still pick MJ. If, if LeBron won another title, then I think... It's a really, really interesting conversation, um, but I- I'm okay with both guys being in the argument. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't stress about it that much. Um, okay, so you said something about different eras. I would agree. Like the guys from the very early times, like I just don't think can be in that conversation. Also, shout out to my dad's cousin Don for telling me a story about going to see Bob Pettit, the Milwaukee Hawks. Wow, uh, that's old school. Yeah, because everyone like in my family cookout, well, he was like. Who was the team before the Bucks? And I was like, the Hawks. And he was like, 
yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And then he was talking about, and I was just like, whoa, okay, this is a crazy story. Like, all right, sounds good. Um, so, sorry, that was a quick tangent, but it was on my mind and kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I was like, I need to tell someone about this. Um, MJ LeBron, obviously, I'm, I never really got to appreciate MJ. Like, I would have been eight when he won his last finals. Um, so, he existed and was there, but it, it wasn't something I could truly articulate. Um, I think for pretty much ever, he's going to be the greatest of all time, but I would agree that now we are at a spot where it is a conversation, and I don't, ultimately, I think the debate's pretty much worthless, because I don't know if I've ever seen the debate happen where someone felt passionately on either side and was swayed in any direction like that that's never occurred like someone never no no one has ever gone in the conversation been like mj is definitely the greatest of all time i will not hear anything different and then at the end been like hmm you know what maybe it's lebron no that that's never happened like both sides just dig in and it ultimately becomes worthless um but yeah i would i would say it's a conversation now if LeBron beats arguably the greatest regular season of all time in the 73-win Warriors from last season, and then that team adds an MVP and he beats them again, man, those those are two crazy impressive victories um, for two of his four rings. So um, I, I think it'd be interesting, but it's a conversation. MJ's still the GOAT, and that's fine. Um, all right, so... To Brennan's other question, who's the ideal point guard for an eventual Bucks championship run? And I, I guess this... do we do we still have the, do we still have the same answer as like two years ago? I'm just kind of wondering. I'm thinking of a, a guy that we frequently referred to as as your guy. Um, <laughs> and again, he's probably getting too old, but the, the, it's a sort of funny. I don't know if the answer really changes that much. I, I don't think that it does. And I'm trying to think. I thought we had another question that was kind of about that, and I can't find it right now. I'm sorry. I can't think of who normally asked me about it. Oh, is Dan? Dan asked me. Dan Miller, I think. Um, but he he always talks about how he'll say, "Well, the the guy that is going to be the point guard for the Bucks can't be drafted right now. Like he'd be too young for that core." And the guy you're mentioning, George Hill, is going to be too old for that core. So I think generally this conversation works best just to try to describe like an archetype. And I think in the past we've we've kind of argued a little bit. I don't even know if you call it that, but I've always been on the side of the Bucks need some extra playmaking out of that point guard spot. While I think most of the time we think of that as a role. Um, I know we were talking about this before the pod started about where you can just put a Mario Chalmers, Chalmers type there where they just need to knock down threes, play solid defense, and the, your LeBron your Giannis can just bring the ball up the floor, handle the playmaking. And I don't know it. I think, I think the biggest thing I would change is that now I think that player in the modern NBA and Kevin Pelton wrote something about this, but I think that person needs to be able to have a quick trigger from three and be able to shoot threes off the dribble or be able to do something off the dribble. And again, maybe that's just because Giannis isn't quite there yet offensively, but I just think a year of watching the slow releases of Malcolm Brogdon and Matthew Delvadova have have convinced the civil, me. The, the Civil War muskets? Or did I say <laughs> maybe Revolutionary War musket of, of Matthew Delvadova, yes. Like, just seeing that for a year has convinced me, okay, we need a, a quicker trigger man to play alongside Giannis. Like, that would be uh, the thing you'd be looking for, is a quicker trigger there. So, uh, But I still think it's pretty much that same type of player, no? Yeah, I, I, it's funny. When you said playmaking, my, my immediate thought was playmaking versus shooting and then just sort of like a guy who just sort of you know like a like a just a gunner basically um and and i immediately thought of like the less less filling taste great argument of like what what the bucks point guard, point guard should be better at um i mean the problem is if you have a great playmaker and oh he also happens to be a great shooter that means you have like an all-star incredible it's like oh okay now you have kyle you, Lowry you do you Paul. probably do need to pick one yes i agree right and and i think you know we've talked enough in in previous podcasts and mailbags about how 
like not feasible it is to be able to get a guy like that. And also both of those guys, you know, Lowry and, and Paul, both for agents of summer. I mean, they don't really fit the time bracket that ideally, you know, you'd want for um, a championship run a few years from now. Granted, if you had a super duper star like that, you could accelerate presumably your, your contention time, time window. Although I don't know if that's even ideal. Well, I don't want to say it's not ideal because getting better, faster is is always a nice thing right i mean um you know Giannis affords you basically a, a decade basically i think of of sort of potential peak especially well maybe maybe i'm over indexing on lebron right if, if yeah, Giannis is lebron yeah, yeah. then you've got a you've got a decade of, of superstar <laughs> to work with that may be a little bit much but let's say it's like five six years seven years something like that um and so yeah if you had a, a a superstar point guard well then that you know allows you to maybe be a contender you know two years from now instead of three, four or five years from now. Um, but again, I mean, typically it's not, you know, 22 year old stars don't typically contend for, you know, a finals run. That's just not normal guys. Usually have to, you know, earn their stripes and teams usually have to be built up around them. But, but yeah, I think to me, the, the big thing is, is shooting. And, um, I think in particular for Giannis, I mean, I, you know, I would hope Giannis gets better as a shooter. Um, but I don't think there's anything inevitable about Giannis becoming, a thirty-five percent, thirty-three percent, you know, three-point shooter on on good volume. I don't think that's like a lock to happen. Um, so I think it's just so essential from a team building standpoint that you surround him with shooters uh, at the other positions. And the fact that the Bucks have Thon and he looks like a guy who can hit, you know, maybe not closely guarded threes, but um, spot up threes, is is huge. You know, the fact that he can potentially be uh, a good defender and, and move his feet and, you know, block shots and do those things that modern centers have to do. And then also hit threes. Um, you know, I just think fundamentally changes sort of the, the upside of this team or like at least the, how much of a challenge it is to get there. But the other obvious piece is, is in the backcourt. And we've discussed that at length, at length, obviously in the shooting that they don't have, especially on the offensive end. And that's really the one thing the bucks, you know, clearly don't do is they don't shoot a lot of threes. And, you know, we've talked for years about how, um, closely correlated and and how not shocking it should be when you see that the teams that not just make the most threes but just attempt the most threes uh, are teams that generally have the the highest offensive efficiency and, that, and that's there's nothing really new about that so um so yeah i mean for me it's it's a shooter it's a, probably a shooter first who can hopefully hold up defensively um but again i don't know if that guy is out there this summer um and i think one thing we're probably gonna talk a lot more about is if, if you go into a free agency as a fan thinking we're going to find a guy that's going to be a key player for the next five to seven years, you're probably deluding yourself. Like that's just not yeah. how that's really not how the NBA free agency works. Like maybe, you know, like the Warriors get Andre Godala. Big, big time. Great move for them. But granted, he's also I don't know what where is Godala on their on their pecking order, like their fifth best player or something like yeah, that. Probably. Um, maybe previous years, maybe he was fourth best player. Um, so that's the kind of, you know, that's the kind of like, you know, again, unless you're the Warriors signing Durant or the Cavs signing LeBron, which, you know, the Bucks are not going to be a team that does that, or you would never, you can never plan around that. Um, I think you have to think this is a guy that you're going to draft, you're going to trade for somehow you're going to get, and you're going to have to get him for less than he ultimately ends up being worth. Basically, you're going to have to unearth that gem. And yep. I, I don't know, maybe, could it be Malcolm Brogdon? It could be, especially if all we're saying is that, you know, it doesn't have to be a, it has needs to be more a Mario Chalmers type than a Chris Paul type. Um, but I think that's the big challenge. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I kind of struggle, like the guys who are out there this summer, if the Bucks, let's say trade John Henson, um, if Greg, if Greg Monroe opts out or even if John Henson or even if Greg Monroe doesn't opt out and they have like the mid level that they can spend without going over the tax and keeping Tony Snell as well. I don't know, like is giving eight million dollars a year, the mid level to Patty Mills. Is that a good idea? Um, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I, I don't know. I mean, he's clearly not. I mean, again, but I think we have to think in those terms like and, and again, also, I'd say that part of the value of having Giannis and of having Chris Middleton to, to some extent as well, is that those guys, they rack up assists, they draw p- players, they are able to make plays for others, they're able to run. You know, Chris can run a pick and roll. Giannis can obviously, like, create all t- sorts of gravity and draw attention and, you know, make make the kickout plays or, you know, make that little wraparound pass to the big man, stuff like that. That means that 
you don't need that hyper high usage playmaker. You don't you, you probably you know you don't get as much benefit from having that hyper high usage playmaker, right? John Wall, I mean, you'd love to have John Wall, but he does the Bucks less good than he does the Wizards, I would say. Okay. Again, I'm not saying that you wouldn't want John Wall in the Bucks. You would. Clearly that would be great. But um in terms of meshing the skill sets and the usage and things like that, I think you do have to find more of a guy like you know somebody who looked like a Gordon or a George Hill for the Jazz this year, but you have to find him that he's you know find find a younger version of that. And I would agree. I don't I don't know if that guy is out there. They're, I don't think they're going to sign him this summer. Um, and I think you're going to have to find that guy some other way. And clearly, we need to probably do some more research heading into free agency because who knows? Maybe that guy. Maybe there's a guy out there. But I will say this: he's not like that person. Probably is not someone that we would say is obviously the guy right now. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, let's go to the next question from Christian Volbrecht. Is there any way the Bucks can clear Mirza or Henson's salary this offseason? And what contract is Snell worth this offseason? Um, well, let's say that. So we were talking before the podcast. I think we'll talk about this a fair bit more as well. I I think Henson is the obvious guy. I mean, I, I did this this graphic this week. Um, Which looks sort of the great. Bucks. The Expendables. <laughs> um, I'm thinking about making a Photoshop of the Expendables. Yeah, so the Expendables had uh, basically these are the guys who are, you know, pro, you know, you're, you're paying them more than than what you would say you're getting back uh, in terms of production for them, and so as a result, I mean, though, you know, if you talk about wanting to relieve pressure, you know, again, if if everybody comes back and you know, including Greg Monroe and Spencer Hawes, and you resign Tony Snell to, we'll get into this other question, you know, presumably probably eight figures or more, um, you're going to be right up to the luxury tax, which isn't really where you want to be on a young team um, that, you know, is is not quite contending for a title, obviously, at this point. Uh, so you want to get rid of somebody. And the the expendables that I referred to were, were John Henson, uh, Matthew Delvadova, Mirza Toledovich, and Rashad Vaughn, who remarkably makes that list despite the fact that he's paid a tiny amount relative to all those other guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't be paying over 30 million for guys that on the depth chart last year, where, where were Deli, Deli Henson and Mirza like seven through nine at best Monroe's your, yeah. your sixth man. Probably none of those guys, you know, none of those guys ideally start. Um, it's just too much money to be paying for all those guys. And you know, again, like you go into free agency, that's, that's where you spend more money and you don't get the ROI on unrestricted free agents that you do on rookies. You don't get it on guys that, you know, your own restricted free agents typically that you resign. You know, that's where you get better deals. So it's not surprising that those guys would be overpaid. But the problem is, again, they were they're overpaid relative to where they are um, in terms of contributions. And to me, Henson's the obvious guy to move. Thunmaker is, you know, your shop blocker, skinny, big man who basically does what Henson does, except he also does other stuff and he has way more upside. And I don't know, we've seen years of Henson, you know, being that guy that we think maybe this is the year that he kind of figures it out and it just doesn't happen. He, he always ends up your third string big man eventually. And you can't pay that guy over $10 million a year. So to me, again, I, I mean, they, they miraculously salary dumped miles Plumlee last year. Can you do the same for John Henson? Just wipe him off the sheet. I don't care if they get anything back for them. Um, if they do that, they have a lot more flexibility to use their mid-level. Um, if you know other guys opt out, like principally Monroe, then you might actually have a little bit of cap space to work with. So to me, Henson's the obvious guy. And I mean, Toledovich, he has two years left on his deal. He's a stretch four. He's, you know, he didn't have a great year for the Bucks last year, but what, he was still their best plus minus guy. So clearly he doesn't hurt you as much as people... I don't know, seem to think that maybe he does, but they were great with him on the court. Giannis and him were tremendous together. They signed him basically to, to me, to be a guy that could play off Giannis, which, to, you know, I, I think may, is why it made sense on a lot of levels at the time, even though he is older. Um, you know, again, you're, you're not going to go find 23-year-old, you know, star players in free agency. That's not how it works. Those guys are on rookie contracts, and if they're not, then they're, you know, diamonds in a rough that, few guys are going to see coming right like everybody wants to sign the next jonathan simmons okay great go find him you know <laughs> but um so yeah toledovich i worry about less uh and delavidova a bit less too just because he has a role and especially if brogdon is your starting point guard you don't really have that much tied up um i think the big concern is just that your your ceiling is is not as high as a team if your two point guards are are brogdon and delhi unless you know again 
those other guys are, um, you know, are just, you know, you're, you're, you're Giannis Middleton and, you know, I hesitate to throw Jabari in there, but those guys are, are really blowing up and, and becoming even better than, than they are right now. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, I think there are ways, I think Mirza you could move just cause he fits an archetype of, of that's popular now in the league, a, a stretch for, He's really not that bad defensively, especially if he's only guarding fours. And Henson, I don't know. I guess because you moved Miles Plumlee, there may be somebody that would take John Henson, but I don't know. That's interesting. I don't think he's nearly as difficult to move as Plumlee. Like I, in fact, I might not even be shocked. You're talking about Henson, right? Yeah. Like I might not even be shocked if someone just gives you a second rounder for Henson, and you don't have to take money back. Like I, I the in in a world that I'm imagining, I I don't think that. That is all that crazy. Like, I think you could talk yourself into, okay, either we struck out on some other guys or we want to make a quick value play and try to get this center, this backup center for, what, it's just over 10 this year and then nine the next two years, or or high nines the next two years, but around 10 million. Like, I think that's, uh, again, maybe you have to take a contract back, but, uh, man, I, I almost think you could just get away with moving him for a second rounder. And uh, I think there's enough positive things about John Henson that you can be convinced of it um, and, and still just give up a second rounder for him. So we'll see if that actually happens, but, uh, man, I, I think he, he's pretty easy to move. And, yeah. Mirza and Delhi, I understand how much derision uh, they've gotten from Bucks fans. How Bucks fans just do not enjoy those two, and I totally get it. I've I watched them play all 82 games this season uh, and the six playoff games, so all 88 games. I watch the same games. I understand, totally understand why they are frustrating to watch. They're probably not as bad as you may think they are. Um, they, like you said, Mirza has a huge positive impact on the floor, and we'll see if the Bucks are smart enough to use him in better ways next season. And again, Delhi's relied on way too much by this team for playmaking, and they just put too much on him. But I guess ultimately the reason why they put so much on him is because they trust him and they think he can do a good job as a backup point guard. So, um, uh, I don't I don't think those two and Rashad Vaughn man who knows what's going to happen with him. Um all right. What contract is Tony Snell worth this offseason the second part of Christian's question? I'm probably in the 10 to 11 range as far as what his worth is. Um obviously in the past I've talked about how he doesn't do really any playmaking. Um so essentially you are paying him just to hit threes and just play defense. And those are two very good things and two things valued throughout the league, um, but without any of those other additional benefits, uh, any of those other things uh, that you can get from wing players, I think 10 to 11 is probably is probably what he's worth. I'm not saying that's what he's going to get. I would probably put his value at 10 to 11. Yeah, when, when I was looking at it, I mean, 10 to 12 is kind of what what I kind of gravitated towards. I think the scary thing is, you know, to me, the thing with Snell is, and we've talked about this a lot, so I won't get too deep into this, but to me, it just comes down to, especially as a restricted free agent, he's not going to be a priority on day one of free agency for, you know, other teams. Cause they know that they have to wait until, and I think, I think the um, moratorium is like 10 days long this year still. And they, they shortened it last year, but, um, but basically it just means there's no sense in really, because you don't know if you're going to get that guy. So you're much better off trying to just go negotiate deals during the moratorium when you can't technically sign deals, but with um, unrestricted guys, like, you know, this is where everybody agrees to stuff. And then it's just, they just wait until the moratorium ends and they can actually sign the deals. So it's, it puts all the restricted guys in a tough spot because, you know, you don't know, you can agree on day one of restricted free agency. The Brooklyn Nets can say, Tony Snell, we love you. Here's, you know, four years and 56 million or something like that. But the bottom line is then they're going to have to sit on that money until 10 days later when they can have him sign an offer mm-hmm. sheet. And then they have and then they have to wait two days to see if the Bucks actually match it. Yep. So, you know, if you don't get that guy, 
then you just lost the first two weeks of free agency basically with that money because you were waiting to even give the guy the offer sheet and then waiting to see if his team would match. So it, it, it's just really this, the kind of deck is stacked against restricted free agency in terms of just the way the market and the timing of things work, how they work out. And so typically what happens is, you know, it's the teams like the Nets last year that just have a ton of cap space and nobody wants to sign with them. So they end up just sort of saying like, all right, all we can do is try to find excuse me, try to find those restricted guys who are sort of waiting for a better deal and then just try to take a flyer on them. And they did that with Tyler Johnson. They did that with Alan Crabb. And that's why those are kind of the scary, you know, the scary, you know, examples from last year who, you know, guys who signed big contracts with the Nets and then ultimately had them matched. But, you know, especially like Crabb, I mean, you know, if I think what is he owed like three years, 50 some million left on his deal. Like, Nobody wants to pay that. Like, no. I don't think anybody really would look at that as an attractive deal. But the Blazers basically said, you know what? We're going to be so far over the cap. We've got McCollum. We're going to extend McCollum eventually. You know, they signed Evan Turner, obviously. They basically just sort of went all in and said, who cares? We're not going to have cap space anyway. We'll just match Crab because we're not going to be able to replace him. Um, and so now they just have this really bloated, you know, cap basically of, of all these contracts that people don't want. I mean, Evan Turner was stupid just from the start, but that's a separate conversation. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. To me, it just all kind of comes down to is, is there that one random team out there that strikes out on everybody else and sees Tony Snell sitting around and, and wants to do a deal? Um, and I think I've said, you know, if I was the Bucks, I would just sort of come in on day one and just say, hey, Tony, we want you back. Let's do this. Four years, 36, four years, 40, something on that order. Um, and I would feel a lot better about doing that if, I, I had already gotten rid of John Henson or if I knew I could get rid of John Henson in some way just because, you know, again, if, if Snell gets eight figures and everybody else comes back, um, the Bucks' proximity to the, proje- to the projected tax, which is at $121 million right now based on what the NBA has told teams, um, you get pretty damn near that tax number. Uh, and, and obviously I don't, you know, as I, I think this, I think the Bucks owners would pay the tax in, in the right circumstance, but you know, again, there are there are tactical reasons beyond just being willing to pay the money to avoid the tax because it does limit, especially when you go and, and you get in the repeater tax it becomes more punitive. You're basically the, the mid level you can offer teams in the offseason becomes smaller. I mean, there are good reasons, even aside from the money, not to want to be in the tax. And I think certainly if you have the Warriors roster, or the Cavs roster, like, yeah, you're going to have to pay the tax. It's just that's just the way it's going to be. But if you're the Bucks roster and you're kind of on that margin of being on the tax and you're not a championship te- level team yet, yeah, you're going to want to avoid that. But I'd also note the tax, you, you don't have to be under the tax, you know, in mid-July or even the start of the season. That, so you have flexibility. So the, the Bucks could theoretically go over the tax in the summer and then have time to work their way back down. They could, you know, stretch guys like Spencer Hawes. You know, there, there are a lot of ways you can kind of open up some additional room and get back under that tax. So I would be shocked if the Bucks were over this, the luxury tax next year. And it's not really because ownership is cheap or something like that. It's just because I think there are going to be ways for them to get under the tax. And it, I think, is a smart thing to do strategically. All right. Next question comes from Camille D. Um, she's got a couple. I'm going to save the one I actually want to answer for last. Um, first one, what GP2's role could be next year. I don't know if Gary Payton Jr. is an NBA basketball player. Really don't. I'm not sure I've seen anything in his limited time with the Bucks to make me believe that. Um, so I'm going to leave that one there. Um, any rumors on Haas or Monroe? I have heard no rumors on either of them. Uh, do you want to respond to those two and then we can get to our third question? Sure. Uh, yeah, Gary Payton, same deal. I mean, he, he could actually be a pretty important guy in the sense that his non-guaranteed deal is, is for $1.3 million next year. If they you know were to get rid of, let's say, a Henson, and then if Monroe were to opt out, um, you know, you get into a situation where actually, uh, you know, dropping GP2, releasing him and getting that money off your books could actually be kind of useful. Um, and again, obviously, if you're up near the luxury tax, it could be useful to to release him as well. So I, I, I don't know. I would guess there's probably a less than 50-50 chance that he's even on the, the opening night roster. Um, and I think a lot of it depends on what happens uh, in this draft. I mean, if, if the Bucks draft uh, a, a point guard, you know, maybe not in the first round, just because I mean, as we've discussed, there's kind of a dead zone in the first round. Although I know you're get you're warming up on Jawan Evans. Um, in the second round, there there are definitely some point guards there that that might be available at 48. Um, 
but you know, again, they could also do something in free agency. They could do something via trade. I, I just think there's a decent chance they add another point guard. And if that's the case, I don't really see what, what point there would be in having Gary Payton, especially given, you know, he's an interesting player. He's brings some unique physical tools. He's very athletic for, you know, a guy his size does some weird stuff, but you know, really you're just looking for a guy that can shoot and play defense and, I think he might be able to figure out NBA defense. He's got definitely the tools and pedigree for that. But shooting, there's nothing in his history that would suggest he's ever going to be a good shooter. And I just don't know if the other weird parts are actually like worth having around. So I I would guess he's not back. Yeah, as for Haas and Monroe, I think I heard that Monroe was in Milwaukee this week. I don't know what that means. Um, And I don't know, we've talked about it at, at length. I don't think we've really heard anything from that camp as far as what he might do. We've talked, obviously, about why opting in may ultimately be the best move for him. But again, if he can get, I, I think the most interesting question is what would he need to get on a multi-year deal? How much of a discount would he be willing to take? And I'm sure David Falk will be using all his back channels to try to figure that out. Um, Cause I don't think he's going to blindly opt out without knowing what might be out there. Um, but again, we've talked about it. Who's going to give Greg Monroe $15 million a year, $12 million a year. I don't know. There's not as much cap space this year. And, He's kind of a weird player. I was going to say, you mentioned it as well, but the Dunked On uh, podcast with their Bucks, like off-season preview, season review, whatever you want to call it, um, I think Nate went through every possible team that could either sign Snell or Monroe on it, and I think it was very helpful and kind of crystallized that idea to me that it probably just does not make sense for him to opt out because there's probably just not going to be that team and he went through all the teams that have money and it, it was very good i would suggest listening to that offseason preview if you want to hear many of the same things we've echoed but from very smart people and uh, maybe a slightly different view at some stuff because obviously they're not as homerific and uh as so fo- like focused on the bucks um so i thought that was really good people should go listen to it um but yeah i think Monroe opting in makes a lot of sense. Uh, let's go to the last question. Dude, the only, the the only, the only caveat I would say, and I definitely listen to it. It's really good. They they kind of get into sort of how tricky the Bucks cap situation is. Um, the only thing I will say, I love Nate. I, I've been on Nate's was on Nate's Brooks don't even no, last year. don't say it. we're not saying that <laughs> thing on this podcast. I refuse. Okay, we're not okay. doing it. That, let let's just say this: there was one part of it where Nate offered a suggestion about a player that that Eric and I vehemently disagree with, and I we almost actually, smashed my computer when I heard it. Yeah, I was we were not, so upset. It, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he suggested that guy. Anyway, moving on. All right, so Camille's last question: Which players on the roster would you expect to make a jump in the upcoming season? Um, I'm going to get it started with two guys that I don't think people would expect me to say. Deli and Telly, like if they are actually used in roles that make more sense, like I don't think there's any reason to think that those two couldn't get better. Do you want to go with some more obvious candidates for me? Yeah, I mean, I think the guy, the guy that the Bucks need to make a big step is, I would say, Thon. I mean, we've all gotten really excited about yep. sort of the the. I don't know if I want to say hints because I mean, you know, he he was starting. Um, I, I think he showed that that his skill set and his tools are potentially elite. Um, in maybe kind of a niche role playerish kind of way. Now, I don't. I still. I mean, I don't see him like as a star caliber type player. But I think that's kind of what's kind of exciting about him is that his he has like a very high floor um, in terms of I think what he can contribute to to the NBA just because he fits so well, not just in the modern game more broadly, but especially on this team specifically. So I, I think you know you'd love to see him playing, let's say twenty twenty five minutes per game. I, mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be playing a ton of minutes uh, next year. But if he can get into that kind of range and just bring the same sort of energy that we saw in those shorter bursts this year, I hope that, you know, again, if he can show that that three-point shot is real, he can be up above 35% on decent volumes. And that he can begin to show, I mean, we, I think we saw it a little bit more later in the season and and a couple times in the playoffs. But, like, if you can kind of just show the ability to, you know, make 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 one simple move, you know, like, like, can he hit a hook shot over a guy if he's got a if he's got mm-hmm. like a, a height advantage? Can he, you know, if he's got a slow guy on him, can he grab, you know, catch the ball at the foul line, take one dribble, and you know, occasionally do something like throw in a, a short hook or something off the glass, like like he did in that Boston game? Remember? I was gonna um, say, I think that's the money spot now in the NBA. I, I was talking to Alex Boulder about this during the season, but I think one of the biggest changes in the NBA is bigs that 
can catch in various situations and make the right decision, play, and do it decisively. And in the last three years, and again, it's crazy how much the game changes, but like, and it kind of came with Draymond Green, so often Draymond is put into that decision-making role in the Warriors' offense, and now you've seen a lot of other bigs have to do that same thing. And you have to be able to, like you said, if you see a small guy put the hook shot over him. If you, you see a big blow by him, if there's a closeout that's a little out of control, be able to handle it and get to the basket. If everyone's kind of coming to you, can you make that pass to the outside? Like I think that's the next step for Thon is being in that role and being able to make decisive plays, whether that is, like you said, hitting a shot. But And again, it's a, like you said, it's a simple move. It, they're simple moves. It's just a matter of being able to do that consistently. And, and I think that's really where NBA offenses are starting to get a lot of their juice right now. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and I remember at one point during the regular season, it was, I think it was kind of late in the regular season, there was a game where Thon made just like a couple of just like horrendously conceived passes. You know, it just like tried yeah. to do something. It was just like, what are you doing? And I mean, granted, he never had a reputation as being a good passer as like a prospect either. And, you know, it was kind of things like, I don't know, I mean, as a high schooler, like did was Thon Maker asked to be a playmaker passer? No, not really. But um, but I thought especially really late in the season in the playoffs, you know, he did flash the ability to to make some yep. some not rudimentary passes and you know, <laughs> there's there one where he kind ones, of yeah yeah they, they you know kind of where he, i think he took a dribble on the baseline and dumped it off to Giannis in this in the middle for a little hook shot um some cross-court stuff around the perimeter uh if he starts being able to recognize those those situations and, and makes the right play i think that does change sort of his role and his ceiling offensively because i think that's the question i mean I think defensively to me, the only big question defensively is, you know, can he get strong enough and and are his hands good enough that he's in a defensive rebound at a respectable rate? I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, as much as his idol might be Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett was an insanely good rebounder. I do not foresee Thon becoming an insane rebounder, but can he be a respectable defensive rebounder in particular? That that would be really big for me. I think the movement, reading picks, you know, quarterbacking the defensive like that, I think he's already, you know, ahead of where you'd expect a guy that, just came from high school where he might be. Um, I think that stuff's going to come. You hear people rave about sort of his, his approach and, and, and his you know thinking and things like that. So, um, so I think the big question is offensively. Yeah. Can he start to do those subtle, subtle smart plays and, and be a guy that, you know, isn't just spotting up the threes and maybe occasionally catching a lob or something like that. Cause that would change his, his ceiling. And, and obviously that I think that's the thing, the bucks, the bucks needs, you know, one or two more guys, you know, aside from Giannis, Chris, um, to become really, really good NBA players, right? Giannis is in a different category, but really, really good NBA players. And that's why I say the other guy might be Brogdon because we've been talking about how the Bucks need a point guard, blah, blah, blah. If Malcolm Brogdon was an avid Lockdown Bucks listener, he's probably sitting there thinking, screw you guys, I can be the Bucks point guard <laughs> yeah, of the future. And I, hope he, and, I, and I hope he does, right? And I think he has a chance, especially given that we're not putting the bar super high. Um, but again, I, I hope he's he's figuring out a way to speed up his shot motion this summer and uh and getting more comfortable shooting off the dribble again like you know is he just gonna learn that over the summer i don't know but obviously very encouraging in his rookie year the way he did shoot threes at a very high level in terms of his accuracy now it's just a matter of getting that volume up and i think he's got so many other good tools especially for the modern game as far as just being so switchable being so long um a guy that you you know so much of the NBA game is, you know, you find a weak spot, especially in the playoffs. And I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot, too, in the sense of, like, looking at draft prospects. You know, is this guy going to get exposed in the second round of playoffs, in yep. the conference finals? Um, you know, can Luke Kennard be hidden? <laughs> yeah, can you, <laughs> you play know? this guy? Can you play this guy? And and we've seen it now, how quickly guys guys can't be played you can you can just run them off the court and you know by putting him pick and rolls i mean look at the what i mean the Cavs even did that with steph curry last year doing just pick and rolls trying to isolate him and so brogdon is so unique because i think he can capably guard point guards i mean you know he's i'm not gonna say he's like avery bradley or something like that by any stretch but um but he can capably guard two or three positions and, and that's 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 big that's really important and maybe that is you know the reason that that two three years from now maybe we are sitting here saying well why did we ever think we needed to replace malcolm brogdon so um so anyway I'm, I'm i'm really curious to see brogdon how he evolves obviously he's a guy that wasn't picked highly in part because 
people didn't think he had the high ceiling. And so I think that's the big challenge for him is can he make that improvement? Can he be even better as a, as a second-year player than as a rookie? And, you know, as much as we always joke about him being so mature and playing like a veteran, okay, well, you know, prove to us that you can play like an even better veteran that you are. So interesting. Uh, two, I'd say those two guys probably jump out to me, but I think your your point about Delhi and Telly, um, I think Teletovich in particular, I mean, I think he can be better in his second year. He talked about that. Um, you know, I think it was his, I think he didn't, in X interviews, I think he may have talked about how, you know, his first year in Brooklyn, maybe he wasn't as, you know, he, he had yeah. to get comfortable in the second year. He was a lot better. So we'll see. But again, I mean, if, if he was not good, then I don't know. The Bucks somehow were better with him on the court than anybody else. So he couldn't have been that bad. Um, why don't I read the next question and let you get a first shot. Um, Derek Ledoux. What is it going to take for this team to go from good to great? Roster moves, internal improvement, et cetera. We could probably spend two hours talking about this. We've probably spent 30 hours talking about this so far. Um, where do you kind of start with that, Eric? I mean, I think it's pretty obviously internal improvement. Like, I, I don't, uh, again, obviously, you could say roster moves and trading for another superstar or something like, yeah, of course that would, that would be how you go from good to great. But uh, I think we've got, we kind of saw it last year where if you can hit on some of those moves on the periphery and I think the bucks hit on damn, just about every one in the off season other than Plumley, And again, the Plumley miss was big, but those other ones like all pretty much made sense. Like, Teletovich and Delvadova kind of worked out. They hit on Thon and Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, I think those two would be overwhelmingly positive. Snell was positive. Uh, Beasley ended up being a positive. Jason Terry ended up being a positive. Like All those small moves help you kind of juice those things up and get better. And then just internal improvement. We were talking about who you expect to make a jump. And, well, Giannis is <laughs> – I was looking this up the other day – Every season thus far, points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, blocks per game, steals per game, Giannis has improved all five statistics every single year thus far, which is an insane thing to see because he put up pretty solid numbers in those things, uh, not this past year, but the year before that in year three. So for him to do that in year four is crazy, but at the same time, I'm expecting to improve going into year five. Like, he hasn't hit his peak yet, so he's still going to improve in all of those improvements and getting better. And then you look at just kind of getting healthy, like Chris Middleton not being uh, hampered by a hamstring injury and just being able to have him play a full season, hopefully, and be able to get through all that. Like, all of those things internally help them move from good to great. And, I mean, Ultimately, obviously, you have to do those smaller things well, but uh, the difference between good teams and great teams is, well, great players, and the Bucks have a great one in Giannis. So uh, they have to do well in those other facets, but ultimately how far that player can carry you is kind of what's going to decide whether this team is good or great. Yeah, I, it's kind of interesting because I'm, I'm often torn on the one hand. I think once you have, once you have a superstar uh hopefully you get a couple of other really good players around him you know let's say that's chris middleton maybe that's thon maybe that's jabari i I don't know i mean we've been kind of ignoring jabari a lot in these conversations just because i I just don't feel comfortable even guessing how he's going to fit into this um and so part of me then kind of zooms into like oh well it's so important to get sort of the marginal you know fourth fifth sixth guys right and it is but (laughs) I don't know. I also think about like the draft and, you know, people talking about like taking a a safe guy, taking a guy who's like, oh, he's going to be a good role player. And I mean, usually that's all you can kind of really hope for. But those guys don't really matter in the in the grand scheme of the NBA either. Correct. So I don't know. I'm I'm always kind of torn. I'm always kind of torn between this idea of like, especially given the way that we how closely we follow everything of trying to like, you know, look at every move and and deconstruct how it's going to impact the grand vision of this team. But realistically, you know, a lot of the stuff around the peripheral is going to be, you know, they're going to be deck chairs and granted, I don't want to say the bucks of the Titanic, but, but you know, it's, it's somewhat window dressing and we know you can get, you know, if you have a good front office, you, you know, you can get random guys to, I mean, 
Jason I, Terry was a contributor. Michael Beasley was a contributor. I mean, you know, you can get guys like that as well. So I, I don't know. I kind of go back and forth as far as how much <laughs> those sort of guys matter. But I would agree in, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's got to be the guys you have on the roster right now. And it's got to be the guys that we always talk about being the best players. And they have to be probably even better than they are right now because they're still young. And, you know, you won 42 games with a team that, granted, they had some injuries. Um, but to me, you know, it's 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 got to be about those those sort of key guys. And I just don't think, again, I, I am not – if the Bucks wiped Henson, Toledovich, Dolvidova off the free agency, you know, off the, the contract ledger and they had all this money to go spend free agency – they're not getting Chris Paul. They're not getting Kyle Lowry. Um, and honestly, those guys would be 35, 36 by the time, you know, 20, Tony rolls around or whatever your kind of like Giannis prime is anyway. Um, so, so I also want to be careful because I just don't think free, we, we need to like condition ourselves to not think about free agency as some way that you're going to magically, you know, put this team over the top because it's just not going to happen. I, I think you have to view it as that that's, that's how you kind of find your your pieces that fit around it. And it's, you know, to me, it's like what Steve Von Horn and I was used to talk about, like, do no harm. Like, get through free agency without signing some horrible contract that you're never going to be able to move. Hopefully you get some guys who contribute something. But, yeah, I think it's really – I think the guys on this team now, with the exception of maybe, like, a trade, you know, like, does a guy like Jabari, you know, come back? Does he maybe he get traded at some point? You know, some of these other guys, do they get better? Do they get traded at some point? Um, maybe that could give you like those important pieces too. But for me, it, it's mostly these guys that we that we talk about already right now. I said this last summer and I took a little bit of flack for it. And I understand it's a bit hyperbolic in nature. But uh, there was some argument going on about the Bucks screwing up a pick or a, a trade. I don't know. Any, any other thing people normally complain about with the Bucks, And I said, well, this... These things don't matter unless you found that guy. And, like, obviously these things always matter. Like, doing well on the margins, like, always matter. But in the truest form, like, who gives a shit about four through seven on your roster if one through three suck? Like, it doesn't matter at that point. Like, Like, your team's just bad. So, so there's no there's no point to complain uh, ab- about moves where five through eight are what their strengths are on the roster if one your first player isn't good enough like if he's not a true superstar well that other stuff doesn't matter and again like it, that's really tough to say because then that means well what uh, what we were watching and arguing and talking about from Bucks basketball for the last decade hasn't truly mattered and yeah okay may, th- th- again i understand the hyperbolic nature of that statement and i have spent way too much time talking about writing about the bucks to actually feel that way but in the grand scheme of things as far as team building goes like those things don't matter unless you have a true number one and you need that number one to be in the top five in the league probably maybe top 10 if you do really well on the, the rest of those margins but uh, i think all of this stuff only comes into focus when you found that guy that's so good that you believe can take you uh, to that championship level. Well, wait. So, so now that you found him, now it does matter, though, right? <laughs> Correct. Like now it does. Like it, it does. Like those things matter, and that's I think that's what speaks to kind of that balance you were describing, where you're trying to figure out like, well, does this stuff matter as much? Is it about the one through three guys? Is it about the four through seven guys? Like I, I think that's kind of what to me speaks to trying to figure out that that teeter-totter which way it should go yeah and i think there's a lot of tough balancing acts in between because like i think you know and, and our friend ben thompson wrote a piece and i don't want to get too far deep and we can probably discuss more some other time but you know ben wrote about sort of this idea of, of 2020 vision and he had a picture of bango wearing sunglasses which i thought was the perfect picture to go with that but um but, you know, it's sort of this idea that the Bucks should be thinking long term you know, to 2020. And I think and I, and I told Ben, that's kind of like the, the I, I, you know, he had he talked about, um, you know, there was talking about like selling the, the, the second rounder last year that became Patrick McCaw. And obviously, you can go back further. I mean, the Vasquez deal and, you know, giving away that first round pick and the second round pick. Well, I mean, th- those things, I think everybody universally should say, like those sort of like, you know, random assets that could turn into that next diamond in the rough those are the things that you have to really kind of prize if you're a team like the bucks yep but on the flip side 
you know, last summer 2016, you're not going to find in free agency. Like you're not going to, to me, this is the, the, the main thing is we're kind of saying, or like, you're not going to find like the fifth starter on the 2020 championship team in free agency four years out. Typically. I mean, cause again, like that guy, the great 23 year old player is on a rookie contract for somebody else. Right. Like, Kent Bazemore was closest to a guy that the Bucks targeted who seemed like their first choice who was in that I think he was like 25 and that would have been a disaster if they had gotten him for four years 72 million right we would have been spending all summer talking about how they should need to trade Kent Bazemore so it's really hard to put you know a lot of emphasis again in free agency so you know to me it kind of gets back to what we were talking last summer we were talking about how there were no such things as bad two-year deals but the problem is if, you know, again, then the problem is this, if you're only signing two-year deals, well, then, you know, again, you have to be really good at finding the, those role players every year, every other year to kind of reload. Because if you hit on a guy, you know, if you signed Dwayne Dedman or Seth Curry or whoever it might be, you're getting him on a two-year deal and then you're going to have to go give him a lot more money if he actually <laughs> ends up being good. Yeah, he's going to get so, paid at some point. Right. So, I mean, that's the challenge with with roster construction is you you get the really good guys, you lock those guys up, and then you just sort of try to find, you try to basically not make huge mistakes and find like good guys who can kind of fill around them. But you know, typically you're either going to have to go shorter, cheaper to kind of minimize your risk, or you're gonna have to gamble and give a guy a lot of, you know, give, give a guy a lot of years. And, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, Delhi's in sort of the age bracket that makes sense for the bucks, but you know, He's not, he's not, I don't think he's good enough to be the starting point guard on a championship team, right? So the question is, can he be good enough to be something on a on like a title contending Bucks team in a few yeah. years? And I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's the other problem, too, is, uh, you know, if you if you found like guys on great values last summer, by the time those guys are, are getting new contracts in a couple of years, Malcolm Brogdon's a free agent. You have to re-sign Malcolm Brogdon and you'll have already re-signed Tony Snell hopefully this summer and then Thon will be due an extension you know so things change really quickly and I mean the I guess the only thing that's consistent is you need to be able to find star players and keep them and then you need to be able to find a kind of all those other guys the four through seven guys and you need to find ways to not pay them a bunch of money and keep them around and you know if you're a great team like we saw I see with the Cavs that you can get guys to just like show up for minimums because they want to play with LeBron you hope that Giannis becomes a guy like that but um but but that's tough and it puts a lot of pressure we'll get into the front office stuff but that that's where I think you know the front office especially on this team is going to have to kind of make its you know earn its money in a lot of ways is is you know it's not about finding the superstar necessarily but it's about you know taking what you have and and really optimizing it around around Giannis but anyway is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. 